All right, grab your Bibles. Going to jump into John chapter 20 today. Going to tackle that chapter. We are almost done. Next week, we are going to finish out uh, the Gospel of John. And uh, I encourage you to be here next week. It is the week after Easter. And a lot of people are like, I did my Easter thing. I don't have to come back next week. No, you need to be back here next week for a couple reasons. One is we're finishing the book of John. Okay, you want to be here for that. Number two, Pastor Mike is going to close us out. So uh, that's his new job. He's the closer. So this will be the third book uh, that he's closing for us. So I encourage you to be here. I'll be here for that and encourage you uh, to do that. After that, we're going to kind of go through uh, a variety of things over the next few months. Uh, it's going to look a little different. We're going to do something different for Mother's Day, Father's Day. Uh, obviously, the 23rd will look different. Uh, the 30th will be a different kind of message as well. And then I want to jump into the very end of the book of Romans. We're going to kind of skip chapters 1 through 11 and jump into 12 through 16 together. And we're just going to look very, very detailed at at how we're supposed to live. So we're going to process that uh, through the summer and and work through all that. So the point is, you're not going to know what's happening week in and week out. So here's my prayer for you. I'm praying that you will have FOMO, okay? I, for you older folks, okay, that means fear of missing out. You're just going to be like, I don't know what they're doing on Sunday. I better get in there. So get in here and be a part of that. So uh, we're going to just walk through a variety of things together from God's Word in the weeks ahead. Now, some of you are probably like me and have a bit of a fascination with the before and after. You know how there's all kinds of, you know, you can, the before and after pictures, the before and after stories, um, houses, you know, the extreme home makeover or this old house and fixer-upper where you see what it looks like before, what it looks like afterwards, totally different night and day. Uh, we were about ready to host the car show again this summer uh, to see the restorations of those cars before and after. It's just amazing to think of. Uh, I, right now, it, there's all these pictures online in Cal- about for California that shows here's a reservoir, and, and if you sl- dr- uh, slide the drag the slider, I don't know what to do, slide the dragger, drag the slider, to move from uh, looking at the reservoir empty to being filled, it's just like, whoa, that's a lot of water that's come down from all of that melt and, and all of the torrential rain that they've had out there. But it's not just, uh, you know, there's tornadoes and hurricanes and forest fire, you look at devastation to restoration, but it's not just the physical, it's also lives that are changed as well. You'll see some of the stories of they'll take a a homeless person off the street and totally change their lives with obviously housing and and, uh, uh, teeth and their hair and and shaves. Just, whoa, that's that person? It's just a complete difference. Uh, The shows that that we've seen where someone struggled with significant weight issues and and now they're strong and they're healthy or there's drugs and alcohol and now their life has completely changed. It's not hard to imagine the before and the after. Keep that in mind today as we come to the end of Holy Week. From John chapter 12, his triumphal entry, we covered that about three months ago now, to John 19 last week where we looked at Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, John has a way of telling the story that's a bit different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He's a little little more down to earth, but the whole thing is about believing. If you haven't been there for those stories, I encourage you to, to go back and read them, maybe listen to the sermons. But, but at the end of John 19 last week, Jesus dies. 
and his death is confirmed for us. We look at chapter 19, verse 33 to 35. But when they came to Jesus, the soldiers, and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness, meaning whoever was there said, I will testify. His testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth. Why? That you also may believe. John is telling Jesus a story so that anyone who reads this gospel, reads the good news, will believe in everything that happened to Jesus. He was betrayed. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was humiliated. He was murdered. For your sins and for my sins, he died. Then we pick it up in verse 40 from last week. So they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths and with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was closed at hand, they laid Jesus there. As we walk through chapter 20 together, I want you to see several before and after pictures. We're going to look at a number of, several, four characters specifically, and then we're going to talk about maybe some before and after for you and for me. So let me show you this as we walk together. Let's look at the verse the first 10 verses. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Now Matthew tells us that there were some others with her, but John just records her by herself. But There is a group of people. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. In a moment, I'm going to show you a picture of what a tomb would have looked like back then, not something that you and I see every day. So she, she sees this, and she runs, and she went to Simon Peter, and, now watch this, the other disciple. Now, who's the other disciple? John. He's talking about himself. He describes himself as the one whom Jesus loved. It just, he's got to say that over and over. I, I should go back and count how many times he's like, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And, he, and she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him little bit of a freak out moment. Mary Magdalene's like, where in the world is his body? She's, she's telling Peter and John this. So watch what happens. So then Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. I have a normal statement, but look at verse four. Both of them were running together. Now this is early in the morning. It's still dark. You wonder, did they have to get up and get dressed, take off their pajamas? I don't know, but, but either way, they're in one of these robes. They're running, you know, probably hiking it up, and they're running. So they're running together, but look at what John says. But the other disciple, who's that? John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John wants us to know that he's a fast runner almost like a junior hire, you know, like they just, they, they want to just, they just got to tell you everything. I've got one of those at home, so that's why I can say that. Um, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. I wonder why. We don't have a clear answer. But here's my hunch, is that he's a little freaked out right now. He's like, what is going on? Like, wait, the, where is Jesus? Where's the body? 
Well, Simon Peter came, verse 6, and probably just out of breath. Maybe he's a little heavier set like me. And so, you know, like John just outran him, following him. And he went right away. Simon Peter went into the tomb. And he saw linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, you wonder why Jesus, you know, like, he wakes up, throws off the linen clothes, just like our kids do with their bedding, just kind of throw it everywhere. But then he folds neatly the face cloth and lies it there, almost like, okay, this is official. I'm risen from the dead. For, and then uh, verse 8, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he had to tell us again, like, I'm, I'm fast. He also went in. And he did what? Two things. Saw and believed. Wait, didn't he already believe? Like what, what, what changed here? Verse 9 tells us, For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Oh, that's what he meant. And they're putting the pieces together. John specifically is putting the pieces together. It says, then the disciples went back to their homes. Now I'm going to get a little creative with the words today to just kind of help us emphasize the before and the after. For here's, so here's before and after number one. John goes from being bewildered to believing. There's kind of some just chaos and, and confusion in his mind. Because from the moment that Mary told them that someone had taken Jesus, he was in this bit of a frenzy. He's running as fast as he can there. He's sprinting. And then when he gets there, he's like, should I go in or not? Like, wait, what, what, what's going on? What, what should I do? Well, maybe I'll let Peter go in first. And, and you picture Peter coming up and he's like, oh, you, you go in first. You know, he's just kind of like, what's going on? And eventually he crawls in and he sees and he believes. In fact, John tells us himself, he confesses that he himself had not yet understood the scripture that he must rise from the dead, but now he does. He gets it. There's a before and there's an after. And so I ask you, is this you? Are you a John? Where you're like, I don't know about all this Jesus stuff. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't get it. Well, if that's you here this morning, I'm inviting you to believe, just like John did, in the empty tomb. Believe. In fact, let's take a moment to look at this tomb. I got it. This is a picture from the ESV study Bible. Um, where was Jesus buried? Who owned the tomb? Do you remember? Joseph of Arimathea. He was loaded. He just had a new grave built. So here's what happens. Uh, the stone, the mason, the mason would come and carve out way down low uh, out of the mountain, and then they'd carve down enough for uh, the, the mason to step into the hole, and then they would carve a bench on the back, a bench on the left, and a bench on the right, and that's where they would lay the bodies. And the bodies would lay there typically about a year. Then they would have to get back in there and they would gather all of the stone, all the, the bones, and then bury them somewhere else and, take, and do something else with them, and then put another body in there. So in some ways, they were temporary tombs. No one had ever been laid in this one. But you notice, 
that the stone was designed to be rolled back and forth. It was designed to get in and out because he had to put more than one body in and to take them in and out. So picture that as, as you're, in fact, on the back there, you can even see the, the, uh, the linen. That's where Jesus would have laid. Let's keep going. I want you to look at now Mary Magdalene's before and after, verses 11 through 18. Mary, we're not sure when she went back, but she stood doing what? Weeping outside the tomb. She had gone to tell Peter, now she'd come back. And as she wept, she stood to look into the tomb. And she saw, watch this, so she's looking in the tomb. She saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. You wonder, where were they when, John, when Peter and John were there? We, we don't know. But she shows up and the angels are there. And she's, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, well, they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they've laid him. I'm telling you, this is a weird scene. If I'm looking down there and I'm seeing angels it's a little bit of a freak-out moment, okay? That, that's like, okay, what is going on? She just has a normal conversation with him. Just, just angels having a conversation. I can tell there's, there's more confusion going on in her world because she, uh, verse um, 14, having said this, she turned around and saw who? Jesus standing. She did not know that it was Jesus. She didn't recognize him. She said to her, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Again, same, basically the same conversation that the angel said. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. She's having a conversation with Jesus, and she doesn't even recognize who he is. She's having a conversation with angels, not even really acknowledging their angels. And Jesus says to her, one word, what's he say? Mary. Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, my teacher, which means teacher. Now, it doesn't say it here, but we know that she ran to him and embraced him. How do we know that? Verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Now, you wonder how long they're embracing. And he says, do, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. He's basically saying, you got to let me go. I, I got stuff to do. Like, I, I got to go to the Father. I, I, have a, I have a work to do here. But here's what you need to do, Mary. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He had a mission for her. So Mary Magdalene did what? She went. Verse 18, and she announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So let's describe this, describe Mary's before and after like this. Mary went from grieving to going. Now, there's similarities with John. You can just kind of see this, this confusion and bewilderment on their face, on their, their experience. But also, she's going to have some similarities with the rest of the disciples in that she's being, she has to go. We're going to see that the disciples have to go here in a minute, too. Grieving is hard. 
Grieving is a, a bewilderment here that she's confused. It's so hard that she doesn't, she is weeping so hard, she doesn't know she's talking to angels. Doesn't recognize Jesus. Ever been that upset? Just in turmoil where, where sadness and confusion go together? Until when? The resurrected teacher says her name. It changes everything. I just love that picture. Rabboni, my teacher, there's an embrace. But that's not where it stays. Jesus tells her, I need you to do something for me. I need you to go. And she goes. She obeys. She announces to the disciples what has happened. So let me ask you this. Has the resurrection Jesus called your name? He has. And I gotta ask you, how have you responded? Do you hear the instructions he has for you, just like the instructions he has for Mary? What has he told you to do? Are you obeying? Whatever grief or confusion you're experiencing in life, you need to bring it to Jesus. Hear his voice, and come to him, but know this. He will have expectations for you. He will want something from you. He has a mission for you. You can't just stay where you're at. So we've looked at John, looked at Mary. Now let's look at the disciples as a group, verses 19 to 23. It says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, again, the same Sunday, same day of the resurrection, the doors being what? What's the word there? Locked. Where the disciples were, were for, what's the next word? Fear of the Jews. Okay, all the disciples gathered together. Now you wonder what that conversation looks like. Because Peter and John, have, they, 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 they're wondering where the, the body's at. The, the, Mary now has seen him, so you wonder, has she talked to them yet or not? We're not fully sure. But they're kind of freaking out. Our Messiah has just been murdered. Now What? And there's a bit of fear there. Is that going to happen to us as well? And Jesus shows up and says, what's up, guys? He says, peace be with you. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And that was shalom. That was just a greeting. Hey, what's up? And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were what? What's the word there? Glad. From fear to gladness. We'll come back and kind of summarize this in a minute when they saw the Lord. Now, if I were in that group, I'd be like, all right, let's eat. Let's go get food. You know, someone run to Giant Eagle, someone run to uh, uh, Costco. Let's just have a party. Let's celebrate. Let's get a cooler full here. Diet Coke, we'll do it. Well, they, they were allowed to drink wine. They could do that. But we're, we're just gonna have a party, right? Jesus is alive. This is awesome. You know, Jesus is like, I'm out here. I bet you Jesus didn't even sit down. Because look at what he tells them next in verse 21. He said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I think it's a little bit of a rebuke here. Why are you guys locked up with fear when you're supposed to be my messengers? You're supposed to be out there telling people I am the Messiah, and now guess what? You get to go tell them that I am the risen Savior. 
So what what does he do for them? When he had said this, verse 22, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What's that all about? I'll explain that in just a moment. But Here's how we can summarize the before and after of the 10. Why are there 10? Who's missing? Who's not here in the room? Judas is one, and then who's the second one? Thomas. We'll see that in a second, okay? So the 10 go from scared to sent, from fear to mission. Isn't this many of us today? I see a lot of Christians afraid to be Christians. Fear of being labeled too religious, too preachy, spiritual, too much on the left, too much on the right, bigots, haters. Christians have a fear of getting canceled, fear of rejection. I'll be honest with you, I, I, I can relate to what they're doing. Let's just have a holy huddle. We'll just get in a room, lock the doors, and just be us. Let's, let's, let's only be around Christians. And what's interesting is throughout history, we've, we've seen Christians do that and pull away from the world. We're tempted to um, just do our stuff. We only want to have Christian plumbers and Christian doctors and Christian mechanics. You know, we, we keep our kids away from all those other you know, bad kids and all the other schools. And we do all this stuff where we live in fear sometimes. And it's, it's hard to process that. Yes, there's something special about being with God's people. But my friends, we're here to be sent. That's our job is to go be in the world. In fact, what, is, what does John say in, in the letter, those of us that are in, uh, doing the men's and women's Bible study, we just covered this a while back in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. He says, little children, you're from God and you've overcome them. For he who is in you is what? Is greater than he who is in the world. Don't be afraid. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Don't worry. I'm even going to give you a helper, the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of a big deal. So we're, we're now in Easter season in the church calendar for the next seven Sundays. And then what comes after that? Do you know what, what comes next? Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes in a new and powerful way. We're going to celebrate that. But notice here, the Holy Spirit is part of a package deal. With the Spirit, they were given authority. Verse 23 is kind of goofy. It's a, in fact, let me, let me reread it. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What, what does that mean? Let me just give you a quote from um, uh, the CSB Study Bible. Jesus bestowed on his followers authority to announce access or disbarment from God's kingdom based on reception or denial of the gospel message. For those who reject Jesus, his messengers are commissioned to say that they do not have the forgiveness of sins. What is this? This is the authority to teach, to to proclaim the truth. So as we're interacting with others, it's okay to say if you don't believe in Jesus, you will not have forgiveness of sins and you will spend eternity away from the Heavenly Father. It's not just my job to do that. 
from the pulpit. It's our jobs to do it in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families. If you don't follow Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sins. That's the truth. And that's what he's saying to them. The resurrection changes everything. They were scared. Now they're sent. One more character. Before and after. Verses 24 to 29 tell us the story of Thomas. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, Dudamus, he was a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Not sure what he was doing, maybe at the movies or something. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, they're all excited. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands marks of the nails, as I see with my eyes, and I place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never what? Believe. You gotta show me, guys. And what's interesting is eight days later, 26, a bit of a break there, his disciples were inside again, Thomas was with them, still haven't learned their lesson, it says, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He shows up again, not, this, not for the disciples this time, but specifically for Thomas. Because he says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not what? Do not disbelieve. Believe. Thomas answered him, this is the declaration, my Lord and my God. He saw and they believed. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's describe it this way. Thomas went from doubting to declaring. Do you have doubt? Are you the show me kind of person? Do you need proof? That's fine. But let me ask you this. What will it take you to what will it take to convince you to declare my Lord and my God? That's kind of a big deal. An illustration was given to me a while back as someone is wrestling with whether or not to follow Jesus. It's like, oh, I can see parts of that. And, and yet their, their doubts are never fully overcome. What's interesting is that many of us, when you think about, um, say, uh, uh, boyfriend girlfriend dating relationship that turns into engagement to, to be married there's always this sense of like oh is that the right person for me should I do this or not and there's lots of doubts well the relationship doesn't move forward until you just kind of set aside those doubts and and commit and I think this is the kind of thing where even believers today on the other side of faith they still have their doubts and struggles and that's okay but I challenging you and, and maybe you can share this with those around you um, sometimes you just gotta believe and step out in faith and then your faith is reinforced in a relationship with him and I think that's what happened with Thomas just a few more verses to wrap things up I want you to see a pattern here first bewilderment grief fear doubts Belief, obedience, mission, declaration. That's what the resurrection does. It moves us from here to here. Jesus changes lives. Jesus is into extreme makeovers before 
and after. Verse 29 again, Jesus said to them, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who's that? That's us. We haven't seen him physically. It requires faith. It requires us to step out and believe. So I ask you this morning, do you believe? Hear me real carefully. Let me draw a distinction between two kinds of beliefs. This is really important. You can believe with your head only, or you can believe with your heart. If you believe with your heart, you're going to believe with your head too. Sometimes it can be your head only. You know, there's so many things that I just kind of made a, a quick list this morning. There's things that I believe that don't really change my life, that have not impacted my life on a daily basis. I believe that Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States. I can't tell you the last time I thought about that. I had to look up what number he was. Mr. Mike would be disappointed in me as a history teacher. I believe that the Egyptians built the pyramids and not aliens, which I guess is kind of a, a thing out there nowadays, but um, I don't believe that. I mean, I believe the Egyptians did. It doesn't change my life. I believe Neil Armstrong was the first man on the moon. It hasn't changed my life at all. And on and on the list could go. And I think that's how some people think of Jesus. I believe he's a good man. I believe he walked on the earth. I believe this. But it hasn't impacted their daily life. Here's how I know that. Look at verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs, miracles, in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. I sure would love to see what those are. It'd just be fun. Maybe in heaven, John will tell us or Jesus will tell us. But these are written... Everything I've just shared with you in this whole book, in fact, chapter 21 is really more of an epilogue. Everything I've written so far, John says, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the promised redeemer. And he's also the son of God. He's the, the one and only. He's the, got that, that relationship with the father. He's the Christ. He's the son of God. And it doesn't just stay there. That's not just check, oh yeah, he was the Christ, oh yeah, he was the Son of God. It says that by believing, you may have what? Life in his name. Here's what that means, and listen very carefully to this, okay? Here's one more before and after that you, that may need to happen in your life today. You, in fact, you could put, instead of your name, Literally put your name in that slot, okay? That's for your name, not just the word your name. Do you need to move from believing, in quotes, to living? Because you can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he was a historical figure. You can believe all that. But until you have life in his name where that's how you're identified. That's what that means. Though you know the world today is all about identity. I identify as a koala bear today, or I identify as whatever. As followers of Jesus, he's our identity. Everything else flows from that. I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. And I ask you this morning, do you believe? Do you have life in his name? If so, we get to celebrate with gratitude. And next week, we're going to celebrate with gratitude 
And the week after and the week after, we're going to leave these banners up for a while. He is risen. If by chance this morning you're here, someone drug you here and Easter and made you dress up, which by the way, you guys all look pretty good. Some of you, you can tell dress up a little better than others. You can uh, clean up a little better than others. So uh, Kyle, you're doing pretty good this morning. So um, yeah. I won't, I won't say the name of the person, but someone, a leader in the church came in today, and I said, man, you look great, and he goes, my wife made me wear it, so that, uh, <laughs> I won't tell you who it was, so, Mike Mills, oh, whoops, okay, so, that, uh, Jesus' resurrection changes everything. Well, I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. We're going to sing one more song, but before we do that, we're going to take just a moment and gather around the Lord's table. The bread and the wine is a picture of his broken body, his spilled blood for us. But, but Jesus and Paul says, uh, we, we keep taking that communion, that, that Lord's table, to remember, to proclaim the Lord's, and to proclaim the Lord's death until when? until he comes back. He can't come back unless he's alive. So the resurrection is the glue that holds it all together. So let me say a prayer. Why don't you just take a moment, say thank you to the Lord, between you and the Lord. And then I'm gonna invite you to come receive the elements, go back to your seats, and then we'll take them together as a church family. Father, thank you for this wonderful chapter. It just tells us the story of the resurrection. And you put, you put people, you show us, John and Mary and the disciples and Thomas, some of the before and after, some of the ways that, that you worked in their lives and we know that you continue to want to work in our lives today. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here that we would continue to see growth and life transformation. I also pray for anyone in here who has not made that commitment to say, I want Jesus to be my Messiah, my Lord, my Savior. God, just work in their hearts. May your Holy Spirit do that. Pray that they would know confidently that they have forgiveness of sins and have become your child, your disciple. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray.